0: Our second reading, Mark 4, beginning at verse 35 through to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, "'Let us go over to the other side.' Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion.' It's great to be with you this evening. If you don't know me, my name is Isaac and I have the privilege to be able to work with the youth and the young people here at Rishpanglican and I have the privilege to open um, God's Word tonight. We're looking at a really well-known passage. I think it'd be very hard to find someone who's been in any kind of Christian circle who hasn't heard this passage before, Jesus calming the storm. And so along with the popularity goes, I think, lots of really misguided interpretations of this passage. And so would you pray with me to begin that God will quiet and soften our minds and our hearts so we can hear what he wants us to hear through his word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray that your word will guide our lives. It will mould our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that over the next 20 minutes or so, you will teach us what you want to teach us from your word here in the gospel according to Mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hate feeling like we are not in control of our lives. We hate feeling insecure in our health, in our finances, in our jobs, in our families. Yet throughout life, we are constantly confronted with times when we are not in control. An unexpected pregnancy, a cancer diagnosis, redundancy at work, perhaps there's a shock death in your family, having a child with a lifelong disability, But it's not just close to home. We look at the world around us and it feels chaotic. There's war in Europe, famine in the Middle East and in Africa, domestic violence and racism so close to home, and it seems to continue no matter what we try to do to stop it. And indeed, the last few years have really reminded us of this, haven't it? We had raging bushfires just in this region. And then we had a pandemic, which in 2020, we said it'll be over by June and then perhaps December, then the end of 2021. And now it's just keep keep going. It'll go into 2023. And then just this week, we had floods for what feels like the fifth or the sixth time in the last few years. In fact, the first 20 years of my life, there were no floods. I've lived in, the Hawkesbury. I lived, yeah, I lived in the Hawkesbury for 18 years now and there were no floods in the first 20 years of my life. In the first, what would that be, 15 years I lived in the Hawkesbury and now suddenly five or six in three years. That disrupts everything, right? So many people couldn't get to church last week. Track was frantically trying to get prepared if we we're going to have enough leaders, who was going to be able to rock up to come. Weddings and funerals would have been cancelled this week. We hate feeling out of control, yet so often we are not in control. Yet in that anxiousness and that anxiety about not being in control, what is our response? What's your response when that happens to you? I think our minds often turn to where God is amongst the chaos, amongst the pain and amongst the suffering. Uh, A few years ago, the Atheist Foundation of Australia ran some advertisements on some buses, I think in Melbourne, and they had a quote on them from Woody Allen, and that quote says, If God exists, I hope he has a good excuse. If God exists, I hope he has a good excuse. Woody's response to the chaos, the uncertainty, the insecurity in the world is to say, Either God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he must be evil. For us, it can make our faith waver. The psalmist in Psalm 44 says this, Psalm 44 says, Lord, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Get up. Don't say no to us forever. Why do you turn your face away from us? Why do you forget our pain and troubles? What was the psalmist's response? To feel like God is sleeping and to ask him to do something, to think that God might forget our pain and our suffering and to think that God has actually turned away from us. And that's often our response too. We go to the heart of who God is when there's chaos and uncertainty. We ask, is he good? Does he even care about me and my life? And does he even have the power to do anything about it? The disciples in this passage are thrust into a storm, not a metaphorical storm, a literal storm. Their lives are in danger. It seems they thought that they might actually die in these few moments. And what's their response to that chaos and to that uncertainty? What's their response? They ask the same questions that the psalmist does in Psalm 44 and that I think we do also often in verse 38. It says this, The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They questioned whether Jesus Jesus cares, whether he is good, and whether he can do anything to actually help them. They're questioning who he is, what is his character, and what power could he possibly have? And that is the main question that this passage answers for us today. This passage, its purpose is not primarily to be a nice metaphor so that we know to trust Jesus in the trials and storms of our life. I'm not saying we can't get that away from this passage, but that's not the main point why Mark included it. The main point is to answer that question. Who is Jesus? And after we understand who Jesus is, what should our response to the storm be when we properly understand who he is? So please keep your Bibles open to Mark 4. I'm hoping it'll be on the screen behind me and we can also track through there. So... We start here, Jesus has been teaching in Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee, and large crowds have been gathering, we read. And because of this, he's been getting onto a boat, onto the Sea of Galilee, and preaching to the crowds on the shore. It's kind of like a natural amphitheater, if you like. And he gets to the end of the day, Uh, we can assume he's probably been preaching all day out here on the Sea of Galilee, and then evening comes. And this is where we pick up verse 35. In verse 35 it says this, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, meaning to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a large lake, and to go to the other side. They were probably on the Jewish side. They were going over to the Gentile side. So they get in the boat and they leave the crowds behind. And at this point, it's kind of a weird thing where I think we often forget, there seems to be other boats around. If you have a look, there's other boats at this point. But by the time we get to verse 37... Those other boats are gone. Now, I've been thinking about why is there this detail about these other boats? It just seems weird because in all the depictions of this, there's only one boat, right? There's only one boat. And I just think it's a natural thing we do when we remember a story that we're writing down. If you're chatting to someone, you tell them what you did last weekend, you'll include elements that don't really matter. You know, like we got ice cream or I had a latte Or the train was three minutes late. Like all these things. And I think it just goes to the veracity of a story. It's not the kind of detail you put in if it's not something real that happened. So anyway, moving that aside, by the time we get to verse 37, uh, it seems that all the other boats are gone and they're alone. And suddenly in verse 37, a furious squall comes up. The ESV describes this as a great windstorm. The waves were crashing over the boat And it was so bad that they were nearly swamped, that they were nearly swamped. Now, I'm no boat person or fisherman, but I just read that as they're about to drown. They're about to drown. These disciples, some fishermen, were in deep trouble, genuinely thinking that they might die because of this storm. They're afraid, they're completely out of control, and they're looking for any way or anyone to help. And yet the absolute chaos of verse 37 couldn't be more different to verse 38, at least at the beginning. While the wind howled, the waves crash over the boat, the boat starting to fill up with water, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping. And perhaps my favourite part of the whole story, not just sleeping in the stern, but on a cushion, nonetheless sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples seem to, they can't believe this, really. I don't think it's a natural response. They exclaim, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I think we would do the exact same thing if we saw him sleeping on a cushion inside. This seems pretty bold of the disciples, but yeah, we would do the same thing. And I think we often do that same thing today. When the crises of life pick us up, knock us around, destroy our stability and our foundation, we often do the same thing. Jesus, do you not care if this happens to me? So Jesus gets up, seemingly straight away, and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm, from a furious squall to completely calm. A great windstorm in the SV to a great calm. Now at this point you would think that the disciples would be relieved, perhaps they'd be cheering, crying tears of joy, but that's not their response to what they've just seen, is it? It says that they were terrified. First they were terrified of the storm and now they're terrified of something else. And why? Why? Because what Jesus did Shakes them to the core Makes them think Who is this Jesus That even the wind And the waves Obey him Who is Jesus The disciples by this point Kind of understood that Jesus was the Messiah But now he can tell the weather What to do as well So So this passage is telling us who is Jesus. And I think there's three things Three things we're going to look at tonight about what this passage tells us about who Jesus is. Two, I think we can glean kind of between the lines from this passage. And one is crystal clear. And I think one of the main reasons why Mark put it in his um, account of the gospel. First, in verse 38, we see the contrast between the furious squall, the great windstorm the almost sinking boat and Jesus sleeping on a cushion in the stern. Now, it's entirely possible that Jesus was just very tired and we shouldn't read into this and many commentators do take that view. Yet, it seems to me that Mark's trying to show us something about Jesus here. That Jesus experiences the storm alongside the disciples, yet he is calm and peaceful amongst that storm. The prophet Isaiah foretells that the Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. And Jesus himself declares, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the Apostle Paul promises that if you present your requests to God the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so even if perhaps Mark's not trying to get get at this in this passage, I think it's still consistent with who Jesus is, that he is the Prince of Peace and that he is a calm anchor in the chaos of this world. Second, we see Jesus' exceeding compassion for his friends, his disciples, even in their unfaithfulness. Jesus, filled with compassion, immediately awoke and calmed the storm. And I want you to note that he does this before rebuking the disciples about their faith. The disciples called to Jesus in their distress when they lost control. And they said to Jesus, do you even care about us? Do you even care if we die? And how did Jesus respond to that question? He calmed the chaos. He brought death and disorder to submission. The disciples asked Jesus in their chaos, in their uncertainty, do you even care? And Jesus answers, yes, I do. The Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, cares deeply about your suffering about your insecurities, about your instability. And he cares deeply about how we are affected by the changes and the chances of this fleeting world. (laughs) Lastly, we get to the heart of the disciples' terror in verse 41, after Jesus has calmed the storm. The disciples knew Jesus could heal people, that he could cast out demons, but this was next level, what he's just done here. These Jewish men knew what the Old Testament said about who has power over the weather. Who then is this, the disciples ask, that even the wind and the waves obey him? What Jesus has done here in this passage does not just reveal his power, that he has power over the weather, because of course he does, but it actually reveals who he is. It reveals who he is, not just his power. In Psalm 64, a psalm of King David, David says this, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nation. The Lord is the one who stills the seas." the roaring of the waves. And then in Psalm 89, the psalmist says this, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you steal them. Only the one true God of Israel can command and control the weather. Yahweh himself is the only one who has this power and the disciples knew this and that is why they were terrified. Verse 41 doesn't just show us that Jesus is powerful or that he controls the weather. No, the disciples are terrified because it tells them this. It tells them that Jesus, this man in the boat who was sleeping on a cushion, is God himself. Like I said, the main point of this famous story is not to be a nice allegory to trust Jesus in the storms of your life. It was included in Mark to tell us who Jesus is, that Jesus has the power over weather and the storms, but not just that, but that he is God himself. When the disciples ask Jesus in their frustration Do you even care about us? Do you even care that we are drowning? They are questioning if Jesus cares, if Jesus is good, if Jesus wants the best for them, and if Jesus has any power to help them. And Jesus answers that he is good, that he is the prince of peace amongst chaos, that he cares deeply about their suffering and their distress, and that he is not just powerful, but that he is God himself. And just as the disciples were terrified and unsure about who Jesus is, have you made your mind up for yourself about who Jesus is? Are you convinced that he is God, and have then you made him Lord of your life because of that? I think that's the most important question you won't just answer today or next week, but the most important question you'll answer your whole life. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? So moving on to Jesus' rebuke in this passage. I've been pondering what should have the disciples done differently? Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So what should have they done differently? Should they have just looked at the storm, looked at the waves, looked at the rising water in the boat and thought, we'll get to the other side. Jesus said so, so we'll just start playing, not you know, but pick up sticks. I don't know what they played back then. What should they have done instead? I don't think they were just meant To do, like, sit there and do nothing because it seems there was a real possibility that they would have died if they had done that. I think it's more likely than not that Jesus was telling them that they shouldn't question who he is. Not that they shouldn't have done anything or been worried about the storm at all. Jesus is rebuking them for questioning who he is, for questioning whether he cares whether he is good, and whether he has any power to help. Jesus is saying to his disciples, trust in my goodness, remember my compassion for you, and ask me for help. But the disciples just accuse Jesus, don't they? When the storms of our life buffet and push us from side to side, when our secure foundation, our jobs, our superannuation, our healthy family crumble around us, it's so easy for us to forget God's goodness and Jesus's goodness, his peace and his compassion for us. And instead of asking him for help, we do what the disciples do here. They just accuse him of not caring at all. Jesus says to us, to you and me, to rely on him in the storm and remember who he is, that he is good that he is compassionate, that he cares for you, and that he is God himself. When this passage is used to just be a metaphor or an allegory to trust Jesus in the storms of your life, I think it's a bit hollow. Because in this life, it's not true that if we just put our trust in Jesus, we will always make it to the other side of that suffering or of that trial. Maybe we will die from cancer. Maybe our finances will never recover and we'll go bankrupt and the bank will take the house. Maybe we will never overcome a mental illness we have. Yet Jesus still tells us in this passage to remember his goodness, his compassion and his divine power. And we know from what happens later in the gospel, according to Mark and the other gospels, that we can look forward to a day in the future with a sure and certain hope when Jesus will come back and calm all the chaos. He will calm all the storms. He will calm all the uncertainty, all the instability, all the wars, all the famine, once and for all. We can look forward to the day that Jesus will not just get us to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or get us to the other side of our particular suffering or trial or illness or insecurity at in any particular time, but that he will actually get us to the other side of this life safely in his hands. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus says, Quiet, be still to death and to sin. He says, quiet, be still to our eternal restlessness. And while we wait for that day, we remember his goodness, his compassion and his divine power. Would you pray with me to finish one of my favourite prayers that has helped me in many storms in my life and I pray will continue to help me. It's the second collect of evening prayer. Would you pray with me? Be present, merciful God and protect us through the storms of our lives, that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this fleeting world may rest on your eternal changelessness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.